Welcome to the latest episode of Aerospace Radio Station Extended. I think it's 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 got a very unique place in aviation history in that it's it, it's a first generation airliner with a couple of very high tech, especially for those days, features. From a personal side, from a human side, it's also been an inspiration. You know, it, it's a very nice looking airliner. It's a it's a lovely sentiment that, that goes along with that bit of British engineering. The, the way in which it connected all those little parts of the globe for an airliner that only which only 54 examples were built i mean it, it's got a pretty big uh, legacy Extended, your aerospace radio station. Hello there, I'm Peter Johnson and thank you for joining us today. Today I'm joined by Yella Himena to talk about the iconic airliner and military airlifter that is of course the VC-10. Yella runs the amazing web presence, which is VC Tenderness, and I'm looking forward to exploring a bit more about this amazing aircraft. So, Yella, welcome to Extended. Thank you, Peter. Good. It's, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, we had to get you on to talk about this aircraft, but I'm intrigued first. Um, why is a, a, a Dutchman living in Holland the voice of the VC-10? Uh Long, it's a long story, but I think I can, can, can narrow it down to the silly fact that I ended up working at the Brooklyn's Museum a long time ago. That was uh, it's actually 25 years ago, actually, this year, now that I uh, mention it. Uh, but back in 1998, I was still a student, uh, went to work at the Brooklyn's Museum for a couple of weeks over the summer, and I just got intrigued. I mean, they had this big old airliner, Sultan's interior in it. Uh, spent some time working on that, uh, mapping it out, figuring out what needed doing, doing some restoration jobs. And I just got intrigued by the story behind it. So I bought one book and, well, things uh, went from bad to worse. And here we are 25 <laughs> years later. <laughs> now, let, before before we move into talking about the aircraft, where does the fabulous name VC Tenderness come from? I've, I've just nicked that from from a brilliant BOSC ad campaign that that had these lovely stickers saying "Try a little VC tenderness." So when I started my website, I figured, hey, the 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 the, the internet needs a little a little VC tenderness. So I, I figured let's let's use that that as a name. <laughs> it, it's the best website domain name I think there is around. So so let's talk a, a little bit about um, how the aircraft came about, um, because it was born very much out of politics. Um, and whilst we won't fall too deeply into British politics, the British aviation industry after the Second World War was a bit of a messy place. Um, where were the where did the uh, where did it originate? Where did the principle for the VC-10 or or the V the Vickers 1000, as it was on the drawing board, as come from? 
Well, I mean, there's yes, you, you, it's good of you to mention the Vickers 1000 because that's the the, 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 the stillborn predecessor that, that has a direct link to what became the VC-10. Um, if, if we do it properly, we have to go back to the Brabazon Committee. Um, that's where the, the, the original idea for a type emerged that needed to be able to operate and in hot and high conditions. So they needed it to uh, fly on the Empire routes down to Africa, the Middle East. Conditions where you needed an aircraft with... Um, well, basically, it needed to lift a, a lot of a lot of um, cargo and passengers from a relatively short, you know, for the for its size runway. Now, the V1000, uh, as we know, never got off the drawing board, or at least it never reached um, um, a, a, a flying prototype stage. But then again, a couple of years later, BOSC was still looking for that airliner. It had already ordered a couple of 707s because it needed to fill the gap. The politics side said, "Well, you hang on. You need to, you can't spend all our dollars <laughs> in the U.S. You need to buy something British as well." So that's what the that's what yeah. what uh, ended up as the VC10. And Vickers did a lovely job in uh, creating a type that fits all BOSC specifications. But by doing that, unfortunately, uh, and that's the tale that 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 is, is present in a number of British projects, they built something that was tailored to its one client. Yeah. And because of that, unfortunately, didn't sell too well outside of that market. Right. And the RAF also had a hand in its early design, didn't it? Um, the government was also pushing the RAF to order. Um, was it the, the the Vickers 1000 or was it the, the, uh, the VC-10? Actually, the Vickers 1000 was originally an RAF type and BOSC was supposed to be the, 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 well, it was, it was on the back of that project, BOSC would buy it as a civil airliner as well. But the, the Vickers 1000 started out as a military design. Um, at the time, the, I think, it, I can't remember correctly, but I think it was the political side that said, oh, no, hang on, you're not getting it. And it, and when BOSC also said, yeah. no, we're not going to, uh, you know, you, you, you don't need to develop it just for us. We're not going to pay for that. That was the end of the Vickers 1000 project. The, Vickers, the VC-10 was the other way around. It was primarily a civil design, but by the time it emerged and, and, and they looked at the options, they said, well, hang on, the RAF can do something with this as well. And that's where the order for a number of um, uh, hybrid models for the RAF uh, emerged. And when the when BOC had to move the numbers around and say, oh, hang on, we don't need as many as we originally ordered, they actually shifted some of those numbers to the RAF as well, because the RAF is originally, I think, going to get 10 or 11. And I think the last three or four were added on just basically to fill out the numbers on the production line. Uh, but that's, I'm, I'm, I may be muddling my numbers here, but I know that there's a link there. <laughs> It's a unique design, Yella, the, the, the VC-10. I know there are other aircraft with rear-mounted mm. um, engines, but um, it brought about quite a unique 
design to the aircraft and it was quite modern the design of the aircraft at the time yeah. was quite modern you know it had the um the leading edge slats it had a lot of technology in the yep. cockpit one of the very early uh, aircraft that could literally line uh, land blind it was one of the very yep. few that could land in in zero visibility it was quite um innovative at the time wasn't it Certainly was. Um, actually, there's, there's, I can name a couple more. It, I mean, it, it uses uh, electrics to power its flight controls. I mean, uh, that's something that Boeing is making a big thing out of ever since it came up with the 787. Uh, it's more electric. <laughs> Hang on. We did that in the UK a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, so there's, there, there were quite a few things that were, uh, you know, where it was ahead of its game. But you have to rem- remember that it, 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 it did turn up a bit late. I mean, the 707 and the DC-8 were already flying and in service. So it was, even though it's still seen as a first generation, you know, large airliner, uh, it, it did sort of, you know, uh, stumble along behind the rest of the pack. And yeah. timing was its downfall in that sense, because a lot of airlines had already committed to DC-8s and 707s. It, it was four or six years um, behind those in terms of entering yeah. service and uh, unfortunately the the as they say the horse had bolted by that yep. time but what boac really needed was that um was that growth the large aircraft um particularly the transatlantic routes were, were developing and of course yep. the vc10 was predominantly developed for for hot and high um aspects the, wasn't it the standard vc10 was but the Super VC-10, the, the slightly longer version, slightly operated engines, a bit more uh, passenger capacity, what they did there was they traded off a bit of that hot and high capacity for for more paying cargo. And that was, in the end, the better version. Uh, yeah. def- definitely the BOAC ones, because BOAC had to take the first standards. Uh, and those standards never got the upgraded wing that did away with, with some of the drag issues that the airframe had so actually the sta- the boc standards were sort of the crippled uh versions but yeah. the super that that was that was really an, uh, an airframe that you know came into its own on on, on many routes uh transatlantic uh, still down to the middle eastern and the african fields because by then a lot of runways had been lengthened so you yeah. know it fit without problems but it also flew around the world and went down to uh, southeast asia australia and so on. So, I mean, that was an airliner that 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 they kept in uh, service um, off the top of my head until 1981. So that's yeah. quite a that's quite a fair run for for, for yeah. 1962 design. Yeah, it was, um, and and those rear engines as well had something unique about them. Uh, and and BOAC, you know, we talked about the name there. One of the great things that the VC10 brought to BOAC service was comfort. Um, it was a very stable platform, uh, which gave passengers a, a, a lovely ride, but also very quiet because those four big Conways were sat at the back of the aircraft. So it proved really popular in, in its early days, didn't it? it? Yes, it certainly was. And BOSC made the most of that. Um, I mean, they, they, they tailored their ads. They, they had some great uh, ads uh, um, using all those those um, particulars. The fact that the passenger would, you know, would in, 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 um, uh, have that comfort level, would, would have that lower sound level inside, mind you. If you stood outside, it's a whole different ballgame, especially yeah. if you're used to today's airliners. <laughs> but still, yeah, they made the most of that. And, and, and uh, although we don't have 
you know, a lot of numbers on that. It was said that a lot of passengers specifically requested the VC-10 when they yeah. came back from, from overseas or, or they had to choose between the 707 and the VC-10. They said, oh, no, I want that one. Yeah. Um, in the end, uh, it, it, it didn't save it in, in, in as much as it didn't uh, get the, 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 the numbers uh, of sales that it perhaps could have gotten. Yeah. But then again, uh, for the time that it flew and for the time that BOSC and other airlines flew, flew it, uh, it was a very successful airliner. Yeah. What was its performance like, Yella, in, in comparison to the to predominantly the 707, uh, I, I think, was its toughest competitor? Yeah, I, I, I can't give you hard numbers right now, but I mean, uh, on on a lot of routes, they didn't they didn't they matched up pretty pretty evenly. I mean, uh, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference if you flew it across the the, the North Atlantic, for example. Yeah. Uh, and and on those routes, the 707 beat it just by a small margin on costs, because um, you know the rear-mounted engines, the clean wings, they looked good aerodynamically, great. But it meant that the structure was just that slightly bit heavier, that that wee bit heavier, and it meant a, a, a bit more in operating costs. In the end, um, there are there were years during which the 707 was more expensive than the VC10, but overall, yeah, the 707 was slightly more economical to operate. But if you're looking at numbers, if you're looking at performance, I mean, if you go down to uh, to to a couple of African airfields, um, there are, there there are, there are enough stories that tell about 707s, you know, uh, heading out across the lake, you know, with the wake of the engines still disturbing <laughs> the water surface, and while the VC10 would just climb away as if there was nothing happening. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, I, I I can't give you uh, facts right now, but but yeah, in in those circumstances, uh, there was no beating it. Yeah, yeah, and um, on 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 the um, on the VC tenderness site, you do mention some of the pilots. Did you get to talk to any of the pilots about what it was like to fly? Yeah, I've I've been fortunate enough to meet a couple to meet some some uh, some, some ex pilots. Um, some of them no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've I've been able to 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 collect some stories. A couple of people I've I've spoken to in person. Um, two I can mention are Arthur Ricketts, who used to fly VC tens as a super VC ten captain for East African Airlines, and he was instrumental in flying the um, the, the the four super VC tens that the EAA used back from Africa to, to the UK when the airline went bust. Right. Uh, and he then and he then actually had the honor of um of, of, of checking out Brian Trubshaw, <laughs> who uh, did, uh, who was co-pilot on the first flight, and then later pilot, the captain, the Super VC10 on his first flight, because his VC10 type rating had elapsed. So Arthur Ricketts was asked to to renew his type rating, <laughs> and then another one, and another <laughs> one is um, a gentleman called Gwyn Mullet. Um, he used to be a, a BOSC and later BA uh, pilot, uh, also flew on 7.4s, had a lovely career, sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but he wrote two great books about his, um, his, his, his years as an airline pilot. And uh, he's, he's got a lot of great stories in that about his life uh, as a pilot, and especially his, his love for the VC-10 shines through. <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it certainly comes across as being a really popular aircraft for for both the flying the aircrew, but also for the cabin crew as well. I think it was quite mm. a popular aircraft from a cabin crew's perspective. Yeah, um, I don't have as many stories uh, from cabin crew as as from pilots, but uh, I, yeah. there are they are there. Uh, there's a, um, a gentleman called Robert Thornton who also runs a 
Twitter account and if he's in other social media, but he wrote a lovely book about his time as a uh, cabin crew member on uh, amongst other VC10s. Yeah. And they're all they're all full of praise uh, for the aircraft, and um, I mean, I think I think if we if we look at that time, uh, we have to also have to remember it was a time in which crews were together for a longer period. They had some yeah. more time off uh, uh, at slip stations where they where they spent a couple of days before flying another aircraft back again. And uh, I think that tight knit community, that sense of hey, we're uh, you know we're we're working together as a crew to deliver something for the airline for our passengers, that also shines through. It's a, it's a lovely. Yeah, it was a lovely uh, sense of uh, you know, looking after each other and looking after yeah. the passengers and, 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 and being assisted by uh, in that by the VC-10, by the type that they flew. And, and tell me um, about Freddie Laker, because that was a name mm. that I'd never associated um, with the VC-10, but you've got a whole section on Freddie Laker. Um, what a character. I mean, without going into the VC10, what a character! I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a, as I mean, he's a great guy. Uh, just 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 without touching on the VC10, but he had some interesting, uh, yeah, he had some interesting doing doings that 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 ended up on the VC10. Um, a couple of years ago, um, a lady called Anya Grasik was uh, fortunate enough to to work with. Um, Come on, Greg Dix, that's his name. And Greg Dix used to be, uh, we used to work for Sir Freddie, uh, and the, the two of them wrote a couple of wonderful books about him. Um, you have to sit down there, I think about five, 600 pages each. There's two of them. So if you want to know about Freddie Laker, <laughs> go pick up those books. But anyway, um, I mean, I knew parts of the story already, but they were reaffirmed by what's in there. Um, he was instrumental in getting the large cargo door into the VC-10. He was the managing director for British United Airlines by then. Um, he realized that, you know, if you have a route on which you can't carry a full load of passengers, which will be, you know, less economical, you, you want to, ideally you want to fill up your aircraft. He figured out, well, hang on, we just put... Couple, a couple of rows, keep uh, pull a couple of rows of seats out and put some cargo in there. So he thought of that main deck cargo door and figured out, well, hang on, if we do that, we can run a mixed combination, uh, yeah. com- combi, you know, freighter passenger service, and still fill up the aircraft. And and BOA was very successful with that. So um, obviously that idea got picked up by the IRF, who, who ordered that cargo door for their hybrid uh, VC-10s. And then East African Airways also used that on their super VC-10s. And he actually built those cargo doors. And there's yeah, a lovely story. Right. Yeah. There's a lovely story on my site. I I I got that from um, uh, what's his name again, the gentleman who used to run um, BOA BKL. Ah, can't think right. of his name now, <laughs> hey, but he's, it's on the website. Sometimes yeah. that's my memory as well. But he, he explained um, a couple of years back we had a fifth, uh, 50th anniversary due at the Brooklyn Museum, uh, 50 years after the prototype's first flight, and he he, he told it very well. I can't can't compare with that but he explained how um, Jeffrey Knight who did the deal for for uh, Vickers uh, basically uh, uh, got one over on Sir Freddie when he actually ended up with the price that Fre- that Jeff- Jeffrey Knight wanted which was not something people uh, often did with Fred with Sir Freddie so yeah it's a lovely story but I'll, yeah, I'll leave it to your listeners to ru- read it for themselves <laughs> ruthless negotiator I think he was um, and it is a great uh, a great yep. um, story and again you, you know just talking about the site there coming back back to that there's just some fascinating um reads 
mm. and anecdotes on there so you know for anyone who maybe has a a spare half an hour or an hour um there's it's a fabulous resource isn't it it, it, it's, it amazes me how much material keeps turning up and I keep finding and people keep sending in. I mean, I must think, I can't list them all here, but I must thank all the people who've contributed because, you know, my own involvement with the type has been, you know, minute in, in comparison yeah. to, to to some other people. And, and you know, it, it, it would take an hour to list them all <laughs> if I could remember them. But, I mean, <laughs> almost everything on that site has been sent in by some lovely people who've, who've, who've shared their, well, sometimes their life stories, but even yeah. if it's just a two-line anecdote, I mean, or, 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 a, or a photo or two. I mean, and it's great to be able to uh, co- collect that, uh, you know, share that and, and, and keep keep memories alive that way. So yeah, yeah it, I mean it, it's fascinating because it's a mixture of technical information, um, social stories, historical mm. stuff. Have you not thought about putting that into a book? Um, uh, I have thought about it, um, but mind you, there are a couple of great books uh, out already. And please ask your listeners to keep an eye out for an, uh, a new one that's upcoming. Uh, a gentleman called John McRickard has penned one for Air Britain. Uh, unfortunately, it's, 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 it's in the uh, production line at Air Britain at the moment. So it's, it's, it's been on the um, to-do list for a while there. Uh, they're a bit short on staff, but it's, it's, yeah. it's on the way. Okay. That's, go, that's going to be a great resource once it's out. I'm, I'm, I know it, it will be. So, I mean... I can't do. I, I'm not sure I could do it more justice than 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 uh, people like Scott Henderson, Last Call, and now John McRickard and Keith Wilson have have already done. So uh, okay. I'm up against some stiff competition there. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the wonderful thing about the site is it's just all open. You know, it's all free. You can go and access that. So um, so let, let me bring you back to the VC10. We talked about how it came into service with um, with BOAC um, on the civil side. Um, when did it come into service with the REF? Because I associate it in its tanking role in the back end of its service. But that's not how it came into REF service originally, was it? No, if, if if my memories are not playing tricks on me, it was 1966 or thereabouts when they got the first two airframes. But the the the, the date's not. I can't tell you the exact date off the top of my head. Yeah. But it's 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 thereabouts because the first two actually went off to be used as trainers as well. But mid 60s, they got they ended up with 14 um, standard VC10s. Although um, there were standard VC10s with a couple of super VC10 touches. Let's put it that way. Right. So there were actually hybrid models, short fuse, which put all the performance of the super, um, and those were uh, make, those were uh, uh, transports, but they could be used as full airliners as well. And in that, they provided a, a wonderful, you know, um, a sterling service for the RAF for a long time, and that was long before the, the tankers ever turned up. And basically, the RAF had its own airline, you know, yeah. checking in for a flight at RAF Bryce Norton. You would go through the same procedures that everyone knows from London Heathrow and other, air, uh, uh, um, other airports. Uh, and, you know, the, the, they, they flew regular schedules to Washington. They flew regular schedules to the Far East. Um, and they carried lots of cargo as well. I mean, um, just the, the I mean, um, just last year we had the 40th anniversary of the Falklands conflict. Um, I tried to do it justice by uh, by 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 telling the story of how the lifeline of parts and goods and and and, and manpower uh, went down from the UK to Ascension Island. 
to be used in the South Atlantic, and a lot of that was carried by VZ-10s. It's the behind-the-scenes role uh, that they've played in a number of theatres around the world that's 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 vital. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's that's that's a fascinating history all in itself. Did you know that during the Falklands War in 1982, there was a plan to put the Black Buck raids on steroids by sending an Avro Vulcan to bomb airfield targets on mainland Argentina, potentially returning to RAF Waddington the long way round via Chile, Easter Island, Tahiti, Hawaii, the USA and Canada? Did you also know that during the Second World War, a proposal was made to build B-29 superfortresses in the UK, powered by Bristol Centaurus engines? If your answers to the above are yes, you're probably a regular reader of The Aviation Historian, the quarterly journal, print and digital, that explores the less well-trodden paths of flying history. If your answers are no, visit theaviationhistorian.com and see what you're missing. I think I picked up somewhere on the site that in its even though the RAF had a mixed interest initially in in the VC10 mm-hmm. uh, and again you you talk in the site about the whole history and politics of that it all had to do with cuts in military service versus they were they felt they could be better off with the Britannia and there were all sorts of dynamics in play but a fascinating um, statistic I picked up was even in its very early service it was they were running a thousand flight hours a month I mean yeah. you know even <laughs> with a handful of, of VC-10s they were literally flying almost non-stop um particularly on that middle east and and far east um routes but i think the thing that jumped out at me yeller on that was reliability yeah and the reliability of the aircraft was amazing if if you look at the numbers for for the ref the way that they were able to just put it into service and just go you know fly it for for days on end if you you want and the same thing Almost the same thing happened on the BOAC side. Um, I mean, the, 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 the availability, the usability uh, of, of the type was pretty good. And if you look at, um, I'm, I'm actually trying to do a bit of a comparison between the early days of the 707 at BOAC and the VC-10. And you could see that the 707 came in at a lower usability number uh, in its first couple of years. It quickly went up, but yeah. uh, the VC-10 you know, basically started high and stayed there. Yeah, uh, I mean they both. Obviously, the 707 was was of, was of course a new, um, a very new type for the airline. So it's it, it's also natural that it ended up, uh, you know, starting up a bit slower. But still, I mean, the VC10 just you know got out of the starting blocks and went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it, it it almost fitted its performance stats and uh, yeah, it shot through the certainly. roof. Um, and where else did it serve? Uh, we we mentioned some of those African routes and uh, we talked about um, BUF, but who else did the VC-10 serve with? Originally, um, the original buyers, apart from BOSC, and we mentioned BOA, uh, the other one is Ghana Airways. Um, then quickly, Middle East Airlines, uh, Beirut based, uh, they, yeah. they uh, leased one or two, started out with one, then leased a second one. 
Um, East African Airlines, we mentioned that one. I think those are the, the main ones. And then later on, you get a couple of small, uh, yeah. small situations where a single VC-10 ended up with Air Malawi. A single one ended up as a research airplane with the Aeroflight at Bedford, uh, a Royal Aircraft Establishment at Bedford. Uh, thoroughly, I should say, um, you know, it's it's it's, it's the, the small, uh, you know, also Rand's Gulf Air uh, later on became a, a, yeah. um, an operator. They they took on five XBOIC ones. Um, Were those so, super uh, VC tens? Those Gulf no, Air the, ones, the standard ones. Okay. So basically, they by the time BOAC and BA merged into British Airways, uh, the standards went out. So after the merge, it was mainly a super, it was a well, strictly super V10 operation with one or two kept on for training purposes, but they were quickly yeah. sold off. So five of those went to Gulf Air, three were scrapped, uh, and then single ones went to, off the top of my head, Abu Dhabi, and I'm missing one now. Uh, oh yeah, the one went to the Sultan of Qatar. Uh, right okay yeah i I remember the um delivery of the golf air ones Uh, they they did look very very good it's the last one especially the the golden falcon one yeah yeah absolutely um i've got to say even with the british airways uh they did look they did look very good i'm just about i'm i just about got interested in aviation when the vc10s were were running towards the end of their service but i Mm. It is a very, very familiar sound. There is a very yeah. unique sound, wasn't it? Those Conway engines. They're, they're fairly, I mean, especially in, in, in their later days, because, I mean, the, the Conway was actually one of the first, was a low bypass engine, but it was one of the first uh, bypass uh, bypass engines. So, yeah, it was a distinctive sound. Um, then again, the, 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 the BOAC 707s actually used the same engine, funnily yep. enough, <laughs> the first ones. But, yeah, it was distinctive. I'm, 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 I, came, I came along a bit later because, as I said, my initial... Uh, you're a lot younger than I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's let's okay, let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> the, the funny thing is that I mean, I uh, I must have I must have seen them uh, at at some point uh, at 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 Amsterdam Airport or at some other place. But uh, it wasn't until I really got interested in the type in '98 that I started noticing them. But by then, the civil ones were all out of service. There were just a couple yeah. of uh, well, there was a large fleet of RAF ones still flying. Uh, I've actually only. You know, seeing VC10s and heard VC10s fly on a number of occasions. I haven't been able to 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 to, to witness them in in action all that much. But oh. you know, I, I I try. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as they came to the end of their uh, civil service, um, the RAF by this time had been convinced of its uh, capabilities, um, and they many of them retired. Um, not because they were unserviceable, but they literally came to the end of their life. Their um, their fly they they maxed out on flying hours. Um, I'm sure they were yeah. still airworthy, but simply couldn't fly uh, a great deal more, could they? But sorry, you're talking about the RAF ones at the end. Uh, yeah, the the yeah toward some of the civil but, ones, and then into the RAF service. 
Well, I mean, the, 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 the civil ones actually had some life left in them. I mean, um, the, the, those five standards that went to Gulf Air, the four supers that came back from East African Airways, those were all converted to tankers and then flew on with the RAF for a number of years uh, with, you know, as we know, the last Super V-10 landing uh, in September 2013. So that's a, that's a long yeah. run for 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 uh you know for such a type but i don't i don't i can't i don't think you can say that it was a, a numbers game that they were actually out of hours because yeah. what the ref did was i mean th- th- those tankers got completely refurbished obviously they did some repairs to wing structure they did some repairs to skins um but they also they also had a good think about how they were being operated how that impacted the life of the airframe right. and they did some interesting studies um that's not a story that's yet to go on my website, but they actually tore down a number of uh, airframes that they weren't going to convert and used that information, that data to look at the, uh, to look at the bare metal and say, Oh, hang on, this is better than it looks. So that yeah. means that we've got that same life left in the other airframes that we do convert and we are going to be using as tankers for a longer period. And also they had a, a good think about how to measure basically the life of that airframe and they, they um, used fatigue uh, measurements. So they basically measured the stresses on part on, on particular parts of the airframe uh, and, and, and just tallied up, you know, um, a, a sortie in which they transported cargo to another airfield is one tick, a sortie low level where they refuel some fighters is two ticks. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm guessing at the numbers here, sure. but basically they kept a close eye on, you know, what they could still do with those airframes. Uh, so they, they they really made the most of them in the end, and and you know it's if we're talking about the RAF, they 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 served for forty seven years. Yeah. I mean that's 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 pretty that's decent, isn't it? Quite <laughs> impressive. It is quite impressive. And they were combi aircraft, weren't they? In the end, or were they pure tankers? Um, the, the 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 original RAF, uh, the standard ones, they were combis. Yeah. Um, the later the, the tankers. I mean, the RAF used the um, standard VC10s, their hybrids, on ten squadron as transports. Yeah. Um, later on, those were converted to transport slash tankers by adding two uh, pods under the wings. 101 squadron only had dedicated tankers. Um, right. They were not fitted for for car- carrying cargo other than what they needed for their duty as tankers. Yeah. Uh, a, 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 an odd bit of spares, a couple of boxes, handful of people, but they, they were never actually used as transports. So those were dedicated tankers, and uh, during the final years, they were only used as tanking aircraft. Right. Okay. So that so the the, the, the tasks. Uh, changed over the years in that respect and yellow one thing i i never really thought of um uh, when uh, those vc10s came towards the end of their um service life with the raf did, were they still um three was it still three aircrew flight engineer uh and two pilots um uh, they had four actually navigator okay. as well. yeah i know what sorry four there was a navigator, navigator. as well Right. Okay. Yeah, so it was a four four uh, crew, uh, yeah, four member flight crew on the flight deck. Yeah. yeah, and the it didn't really go through too many avionics upgrades, did they? No, they were fitted with some some modern avionics. So they they did use an FMS, they did use uh, TCAS, yeah. um, but that's where it ended. So some right. of the avionics were were 1960s, and some of them were were were, were a bit newer. But yeah, yeah. there was still four. Uh, there was still a four person, um, basically analog flight deck with loads and loads of um, dials and and and, and me- mechanical indicators and then yeah. 
Yep. So yeah, good old stuff. Good old <laughs> flight deck with lots oh, of yeah. lots of bits and pieces in them. Um, and there were some. It, you've got some interesting incidents as well. Mm. Um, on, on the website. Um, can you maybe share one or two? It, it, it seemed to pop up in some unusual incidents. You know, everything from um terrorism to uh... yep. well t- terrorism that's the that's the familiar those are the familiar ones i'd say i think the two there's a couple of interesting ones um there were two instances during which uh it, it, it briefly ended up as a uh, a large glider um there was an instance on a ba one and, and also on an eaa uh, east african airways airframe uh, and in both situations an error in fuel management led to uh, four engines running down wow. so basically all of a sudden uh, you know the four engines were shut down they were gliding and they were going down um, the BA one uh, the captain of that particular airframe Tony Frisch um, I've, I've been in touch with his son Tony has, has passed away unfortunately but his son has shared some very interesting uh, things including the original handwritten memo that his dad wrote after that incident and basically they got um, well found out it's not the word because they, 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 they neatly put down what had happened and why it happened yeah. and so on And um, but what happened was that uh, during that, that, that brief glide they had to drop the the LRAT, so the ram air turbine that provided electricity to yep. keep the flight controls from working. But they 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 restarted some engines, got it flying on four engines again. You know, it was just a mix up between the, in the fuel settings. But they couldn't retract that ram air turbine again, so it kept running. Ah. <laughs> and after a while, because it ran on too long, it broke down. But the interesting bit is that Captain Tony Frisch um, kept on sending Christmas cards to the designer of that particular Ram Air Turbine, a guy called Harry Zeffert, ever since. Wow. So that's, wow. That's, that's, it was a, that, it saved that was him. a nice one. <laughs> yeah, it did, yeah, it did save him. Yeah. yeah, it did save him. And one thing, sorry, I, I forgot to mention um, when we were talking about the RAF refueling um, role, um, and that was – it was really, really stable. We talked about it in civil service, but it was really stable in the refueling role because those four engines were at the back and they didn't create that airflow and turbulence problems over the wings for the for the um, for the aircraft that were feeding. The three hoses. I mean, there was two units, two pods on the wings, and a single hose drum unit in the back for the dedicated tankers. I mean, those hoses drop down a lot. So basically, if the hose drum unit is, you know, at the end of the fuselage, the, 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 the hose will be down with the basket a couple yeah. of yards, several yards below the airframe. But the engines are slightly higher than that hose drum unit. So you'll be outside of that um, engine wake uh, as yeah. a receiver. The only... Um, there's only one exception, and that's a larger transport with a T-tail, which is, of course, not a VC-10. Yeah. So <laughs> VC-10s, refueling other VC-10s, they would feel some of that engine wake on the tail. Uh, but, yeah, yeah for, 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 for the smaller receivers, perfectly stable airframe away from engines. Yeah, so that, that, that it, it did its job well. I mean, um, I've got a lovely story from a guy who flew F-18s in the in the U.S. Navy and during one of the conflicts in the Middle East and then uh, I think it was Afghanistan. Don't don't quote me on that. Um, he actually turned up to, to collect fuel from a VC-10. And it was the first time he said he'd ever saw one. <laughs> he'd ever seen one. So he said, "Hang on, what's this?" <laughs> but yeah, there's a host coming out from it. Yeah, I can refuel from that. And he was very impressed by how well that um, yeah, how well it worked, and they were very happy with that. Yeah. 
Wow. Wow. Um, and of course, we now sit with no flying examples nope. left. How did how did the airframes end their life and where are they all now? Um, well, we're actually in a situation where the uh, the number of EC10s has gone down a bit uh, in, in, in recent years. Now, um, last flight, September 2013, initially we had actually, we actually ended up with two live airframes, um, ZD241 Hex Golf Mike from, from BA at Brunthingthorpe and ZA150 DX um, MOG from um, East African Airways at Dunsfold. Sadly, both Operations had to be shut down for various reasons. Um, actually, and, and later on, the two airframes that were at Brunthingthorpe, one was the live one, the other one was 147, the last uh, one to fly. Both had to be scrapped because there wasn't any room for them at the, at the airframe yeah. anymore. Um, 150 is still at Dunsfold, but it's been inactive for a number of years. There's actually a project ongoing, but it's been ongoing for a couple of years, where there were plans to get it flying again and move it to the US to be used as a tanker for a private company. Now, we haven't heard anything from that since, unfortunately. So my hopes aren't very high on that, yeah. in that regard. So I'm really hoping that that airframe will be able to be saved in some way. Um, but right now, it's being owned by GJD Services, which is a company called by Gary, uh, uh, being run by Gary Spores. And I must mention Gary because... Um, he was the gentleman who, with his company, bought all the um, airframes from the RAF when they were uh, put into retirement. So for a while there, he was uh, the largest VC-10 fleet owner <laughs> worldwide. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't think of that. Didn't think he's of that. an ex-RAF technician. He has a love for the VC-10, which yeah. was one of the reasons that uh, 2 for one stayed as a runner at Sprunthingthorpe for so long. He, he subsidized that. He's also been instrumental in getting the front end of another one to East Midlands Aeropark. He's got the front end of another one to Sharjah in the United Arab Emirates. Okay. Uh, where it's in the Gulf Air uh, Museum, um, and I'm forgetting one now. Yeah, 106 went to Woodford. It's another nose section. He's he's got one. He's got another front end at St. Ethan, ex RF St. Ethan, I should say, and he's also um, part owner of the uh, sadly just closed CAHC at uh, Newquay Airport in Cornwall. Yeah. So he's he's still he's 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 been instrumental in keeping all those airframe yeah. bits and airframes around and as well he still owns a couple but um yeah it's becoming more difficult to keep them intact and to keep them uh well life is not an option anymore unfortunately yeah so yeah. but but he's done a lot to 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 uh, to get those airframes to where they are and, and and well to supply them to various museums where they can be enjoyed and and, and yeah yeah well, you're you're more than an enthusiast. I think it's fair to say, um, <laughs> uh, much more of an expert than an enthusiast. But from your own personal perspective, what do you think the legacy of the VC10 is? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's 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 got a very unique place in aviation history in that it's it's it's. It's a first-generation airliner with, as you already mentioned, a couple of very high-tech, especially for those days, features. Um, that's the technical side. But from a personal side, from a human side, it's also been an inspiration. You know, it's it's a lovely, it's a very nice-looking airliner. It's a it's a lovely sentiment that that goes along with that bit of that bit of British engineering. 
uh, yeah, the, the, the way in which it connected all those little parts of the globe, uh, in the way in which it, it, it served its country and, and a lot of other uh, countries as well uh, over the years. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's for an airliner that only, which only 54 examples were built. I mean, it's, 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 it's got a pretty, pretty big uh, legacy. So and it's 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 an honor to be able to 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 share that with with uh, with people and then to keep it uh, to keep it alive. So it, it's I don't know if, if if this is a coherent explanation, but it's 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 it's, <laughs> it's, it's let's say it's unique. Yeah. Okay. So where can we find um, this fantastic VC tenderness presence? And um, where are you on social media? Well, first of all, www.vc10.net, N-E-T at the end. That shouldn't be hard to remember. It's a simple, simple website address. Um, I used to, social media. I'm not too good at that. I've, I've tried Facebook in the past, but they didn't want me anymore. So uh, I, I switched to uh, Twitter a while ago. Now, there have been some issues on that platform recently. So um, <laughs> let's let's not get, get into that. Uh, but I, I, I mean, there are other enthusiasts and fans on there. And basically, yeah. uh, I, I keep up a very very low profile social media presence just to get you know some little bits of, of information out there and then right. share share a link or a story or a mention or uh, if, if, it's, uh, if, the, if uh, anyone from. out there does want to contact you can they contact you through the website they certainly can my email address is on there but they can also go to twitter and, and uh, it's uh, my handle there is at true vc tenderness so that's another one that should be <laughs> uh, should be easy to remember <laughs> Um, but yeah, those those are those are the the the, the uh, communication lines that work best. <laughs> we love. I'm an, old fa- I'm an old-fashioned guy in that respect. Email works best. <laughs> <laughs> You're a younger old-fashioned guy. Thanks so much, Yell. I really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you, Peter. Uh, lovely to do this. So um, if you'd like to support the program, we welcome listener donations, which all go to support our running costs, of course. But more importantly, we love reviews on Apple Podcasts and, of course, on Spotify, if you listen through that platform as well. You can find me at Nascot Hornet on Twitter and you can find Tim, Gareth and Ellie on the extended Twitter, Facebook and Instagram feeds. That's it with the arrival of the music. It's goodbye from Yella. Thanks, Peter. Have a good evening. And it's goodbye from me, Peter Johnson. Remember, stay tuned to this frequency. That is, of course, Aerospace Radio Station Extended. legal policy and use of our material can be found on our website please do ask before using anything you hear programs produced with a creative commons license please leave us a review wherever you play your podcast it genuinely helps grow our program and broaden its reach you can also review the program and leave us feedback on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to email us, our email address is getinvolved at aviationextended.co.uk. And remember, there's no E at the beginning of Extended.
from across the globe. From the center of aerospace. And now to you. The Royal Aeronautical Society is the world's only professional body dedicated to the entire aerospace community. Established in 1866 to further the art, science and engineering of aeronautics, the Society has remained at the forefront of developments in aerospace. Visit www.aerosociety.com Extend it! This is XTP Media.